Hello, 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 and welcome back to the third episode of Nasty Pasty. In this episode, we'll find that sinister recordings on the radio should be investigated immediately by travelling across country to the source. Uh, Fleeing a haunted house when you're already outside is extremely difficult for some reason. And after going back into a haunted hotel after you've already escaped, you shouldn't be surprised when you actually come to harm. So it's me again, Mr Andy Roberts, gassing on about non-video nasty films that for one reason or another were not included on the official nasties list, but they're still similar in tone, content, censorship, crew, actors, release era, you name it. As always, if you'd like to learn a bit more about the actual Video Nasties themselves, you may want to tune in to the Video Nasties podcast by Christopher Brown, and also the Strange and Deadly show by Mr Christopher Clayton and Tom Elliott. Well, in this episode of Nasty Pasty, we're covering a little bit of an oddity in Italian horror. Evil Dead non-sequels. So, when Evil Dead and Evil Dead 2 were released in Italy, they were retitled as The House and The House 2, or La Casa and La Casa 2. Immediately after the success of Sam Raimi's films, a few Italian directors thought that they'd cash in on this success by releasing their own films which followed that titling system. So we had Umberto Lenzi releasing a film called Ghost House in 1988 and retitled as La Casa 3. You had Fabrizio Laurenti releasing Witchcraft as La Casa 4, while Claudio Fragasso released his film Beyond Darkness as La Casa 5. The series didn't stop there, however, as the two sequels to Steve Miner's classic House film, which was House 2, The Second Story, and House 3, The Horror Show, they were marketed in Italy as La Casa 6 and La Casa 7, despite their original release date being way before even La Casa 3. So while the La Casa series is confusing in itself, the fact that they took House 2 and House 3 is very ironic, considering that House 3 was also itself a non-sequel, even in its, own t- in its own series. This practice of retitling unrelated films to cash in on the success of a more prominently known film, it wasn't really that uncommon in Italy, with films like Alien 2 on Earth, Troll 2, Troll 3, and Terminator 2, and not the Judgment Day example, being some types. And we'll be covering some of these later in the show, namely Alien 2 and Terminator 2, but they're under their other titles, like Alien Terror and Shocking Dark. But anyway, we're focusing on this Evil Dead bunch just for now. As some of our listeners may already know, the original Evil Dead was a bona fide video nasty in Britain, but it was one of the ones that were dropped from the list of 33, of which uh, the prosecutions were unsuccessful in those cases. And its sequel, Evil Dead 2, was released in 1987, without as much controversy, but both titles suffered censorship on their VHS re-releases, presumably just because of the reaction to the first film. While the two films do have their own continuity, which is followed properly by 1992's Army of Darkness, La Casa 3 and 4 dispense with the Deadites completely and the cabin, and follow instead unrelated plots with only a few elements that are similar. All the films are now centred around a house of some kind, with evil forces around attending to cause uh, the film character's harm. And the only other thing that I can see that they all have is recording devices... In Evil Dead 1 and 2, Professor Noby's tape recorder is present as the genesis of the spirits returning and is quite an important element in both films. In Ghost House, there's a strange recording from a radio prompting the investigation of a haunted house. 
Or while in witchcraft, a character has a child's recording toy that picks up some nefarious chanting at some point of the film. But apart from that, the films are pretty much unrelated. So anyway, that's enough to start us off. So let's start with Ghost House. After finding a dead cat in his house, Sam Baker rebukes his daughter Henrietta by locking her in the basement with only her toy clown for company. Shortly after, both Sam and his wife are brutally murdered by supernatural forces. In present day, Martha and her boyfriend Paul intercept a strange signal on their radio with someone calling for help. Paul does some calculation and and deduces where the signal is coming from driving there in tow with Martha. Arriving at an abandoned house, they meet Jim, who is on vacation with his siblings, Mark and Tina, and their friend Susan. Jim is the voice on the radio, but insists that he's not recorded the clip that Martha and Paul heard. Staying the night to investigate, the recording becomes reality, when Jim is attacked in the basement by a ghostly Henrietta and the clown, who cause a fan to dislodge a blade and slicing Jim's throat open. The caretaker for the house, Valkos, also causes trouble for the group, leading the police to believe that he's responsible for Jim's death. After Martha encounters the clown herself, and is nearly strangled by it, she insists that she and Paul leave. Paul relents, but does further research on the Baker family, leading him to a funeral home. He asks the mortician about the Bakers when he reveals that Sam had taken the clown doll from the coffin of a child for his daughter, Henrietta. And back at the house, a curious Tina goes back in the house to look for a drifter that she'd met when she's suddenly killed by a guillotine that bisects her. Valkos murders the mortician that Paul spoke to and follows them to the cemetery where they'd hoped to find Henrietta's grave. Martha flees the madman into a small crypt and gets stuck inside, while Paul searches for her and suddenly encounters a dead Valkos hanging from a tree. Mark investigates the house to look for Tina, but only finds her body, and he is attacked by a spectral dog before the floor gives way and he falls into a vat of burning lime. Susan, in another bathroom in the house, gets drenched in blood and becomes scared by a noise. Arming herself with some garden shears, she stabs the figure who walks around the corner, which actually turns out to be Mark. Paul frees Martha from the crypt and realises that Henrietta's tomb is inside. He splashes it with gasoline after seeing the cloud inside and sets it alight. Susan is about to be killed by a skeletal figure in the house, only for it to dissipate upon Paul burning the tomb. Susan leaves after the police wrap up the case, and Martha and Paul return to their house in Boston. On the way to meet Paul in town, Martha suddenly sees the clown in a shop window, before Paul is killed suddenly by an oncoming truck. Who are you? What do you want? For God's sake, somebody help me. 
Ghost House was released theatrically in 1988 with Umberto Lenzi of Cannibal Ferox and Man from Deep River fame, directing under the pseudonym of Humphrey Humbert. The producer was another nasty director, uh, Joe D'Amato, who had done the infamous Absurd and the Anthropophagus film in the early 80s. There's not really any effort to connect the plot with the Evil Dead films, and the plot instead concerns a haunted house controlled by a malevolent clown doll, which looks very similar to the the clown doll from Toby Hooper's Poltergeist. The film's productions are clearly low-budget, and it feels quite similar in tone to a TV movie, especially when it's viewed along with uh, Lindsay's later TV movie efforts, uh, The House of Lost Souls and The House of Witchcraft. Despite this feeling of cheapness, the film's signature gore effects are quite brutal and nasty in nature, and they do actually surprise with the explicitness, especially in the opening scene. Some of the ghostly happenings seem to harken back to Evil Dead 2, like the warping mirror, whereas others are more odd and unique, such as a severed head appearing in a washing machine, a phantom flood of quickline, a hooded skeletal figure brandishing a kitchen knife, and a spectral vicious dog. While the setting can be cliché, the interesting spookiness makes it quite watchable, but it is sometimes ruined by the pacing. It leaves huge gaps of dialogue and exposition between the supposed exciting bits. A big example of this is after Jim is killed by the fan blade. There's no on-screen demise for what feels like an eternity, and we kind of just get lots of hoofing around and being chased by Valkos, who's the most obvious red herring. The pacing isn't helped by the characters either. They don't only act cliched, but some of them are stupendously moronic in their behaviour. When Martha and Paul hear this signal in the beginning of the film, they decide it's better to triangulate the coordinates and work out where it's coming from to travel there rather than just calling the police. This scenario is even more idiotic, as I'm sure that Martha even suggests that they call the police, but it's just dismissed outright. An even bigger instance, however, is the Darlins and their friend Susan, who have holed up at this mansion, but they refuse to leave even after Jim is killed. They're not trapped in the house. They've got plenty of opportunity to leave because they're already outside. And granted, their vehicle doesn't start on one occasion, but they've got legs and, and they can walk away. When it's a case of a haunted house or a psychotic caretaker, you just hightail it out of there in either scenario, and it's a bit glaring to ignore especially when Martha and Paul actually do leave halfway through the film, when Martha quite sensibly decides enough is enough when a clown nearly kills her. The acting proficiency arranges quite variably. There's Paul and Susan, they're not too bad. Martha and Mark have a few moments of cringe here and there, but then there's Tina and Jim. I mean, Jim's recording, we we hear it quite a lot in the movie. 
it's slightly embarrassing to listen to after a certain amount of times. And Tina's facial expression te- seems to default to smacked ass whenever she needs to react. And th- I think this is even referenced on the back of some of the DVD copies, where she is just referred to as the girl with the face like a smacked ass. Despite the acting being subpar, this doesn't really detract too much from the enjoyment of this film, as it's so silly at times you don't even notice it after a point. The film does star some interesting people, though, however. Um, Main girl Martha is played by Laura Wendell, who'd starred in Dario Argento's video Nasty Tenebrae, as well as a bunch of other Italian genre films like My Dear Killer, uh, The Perfume of the Lady in Black, and uh, Killing Birds as well, which we'll be covering later. Mary Sellers, who plays Susan, she'd starred in the theatrical-themed slasher uh, Stage Fright, which is another one we're covering, and she'd go on to star in the thematically-related Troll 3, which is another non-sequel in the vein of Troll 2. But unlike Troll 2, which isn't, also, which isn't about trolls, this uh, Troll 3 is actually a ridiculous one about killer trees. The sinister Valkos was played by Donald O'Brien, who was no stranger to Italian exploitation. He'd starred in some little gems like um, Emmanuel and the Last Cannibals, uh, Hands of Steel, The Original Inglorious Bastards, and 2020 Texas Gladiators. He also made a memorable appearance as the sadistic Mad Doctor in the Section 3 video nasty Zombie Holocaust. Of note, how he, of note here, however, is Robert Champagne, who played the mortician, notable because he's the only actor in this film to have transitioned into the next sequel, Witchcraft, and having a substantially larger role. You could muse, then, about how he's the Italian counterpoint to Bruce Campbell in this sense, but it looks like he just enjoyed the first production so much he just decided to come back for the second round. The assistant director on this picture was Claudio Latanzi, who directed Killing Birds, which, as I mentioned before, starred Laura Wendell. The special effects guy, Robert Gold, had also worked with Latanzi on that same film and later joined him on the production of Ghost House. The two special effects guys are from Stage Fright, and they also worked on Ghost House. So, as you can imagine, the crew and the cast were all pretty familiar with each other by this point, so the shoot was relatively easy. Filming took place in Massachusetts, with scenes at Paul's apartment being taken in Boston. Uh, The remainder of the film was filmed in Situate. Uh, Of particular note, though, is the haunted house exteriors, because they were filmed at the Ellis Estate House, which eagle-eyed viewers will notice as Dr. Freudstein's house from Lucio Fulci's House by the Cemetery. Cinematographer Franco Deli Colley had worked on various Italian horrors before as well, such as What Have They Done to Your Daughters, Strip Nude for Your Killer, Macabre, and uh, Rats Night of Terror. Piero Montanari, who did the music though, is a little bit of an oddity, because it seems that most, if not all, of his other films uh, were porn, f- porn films, or at least um, sexploitation flicks anyway. Of course, the film being released so late in the 80s, it avoided the nasties panic completely. It did have a small VHS release, though, from Colourbox. Um, it was missing a few moments of dialogue in the opening scene, though, in which uh, Sam is scolding Henrietta for the murder of the cat. 
it's possible that the print use was just pre-cut for another territory, or the BBFC snipped just a few seconds because of the threatening tone used against a child. It's hard really to judge exactly why it's missing some seconds. But regardless, this version did circulate until Vipco released the full uncut version in 2003, where it was downgraded to a 15. But anyone who knows of the infamous Vipco knew would know that the cover wouldn't reflect what the current certificate was. Part of Vipco's practices meant that 18 was always displayed on the cover, along with a digitally remastered moniker, which was false, as all the prints that they used were often VHS masters with a lot of noise and a lot of blurriness on them. The Vipco version has since been re-released in different packaging by Cornerstone Media, and but the US, of course, has an uncut release, as well as a Blu-ray edition. And that was Ghost House by Umberto Lenzi. So what's everyone's opinion of this one? One of the most memorable memorable bits that I can uh, remember is the clown's creepy carnival-type theme music. Uh, as well as the opening sequence, it really sets up this film quite nicely and is a, a bit of a surprise if you're thinking it's going to be quite uh, quite weak, shall we say. So any feedback or thoughts on this one, please do send them in. But we'll now move on to Witchcraft. <laughs> A young woman flees from a pursuing crowd of villagers, and she wanders into an old building and becomes cornered, eventually jumping out of the window to her death. In the present day, the virginal Leslie and her boyfriend Gary are on the same island and staying in the building, which is an old hotel, so that she can research a legend about witchcraft being practised there. Meanwhile, in the nearby city, the pregnant Jane is flustered by a mysterious lady in black who shines a strange hairpin at her and almost causes a girder to crush her. Back home, Jane's mother Rose, father Freddy and her little brother Tommy are discussing their hotel, which they, which they wish to buy and convert into a modern hotel. Meeting with architect Linda and property owner Jerry, the group set out for the island. After arriving and meeting Gary and Leslie... Jane is pulled into another dimension through a bathtub and is terrorised by cackling figures. The mysterious lady kills the sailor who brought them there and casts the boat adrift, leaving the group with no choice but to stay the night. Over the course of the night, the group are dragged into another dimension and killed. Rose has her mouth sewn shut and deposited in the fireplace where she's burned alive. 
Linda is impaled through the neck on a swordfish after being tied into a chair and cut into, while Jerry is crucified and spirited outside onto a bonfire. Leslie is dragged into the other dimension while sleeping and is brutally raped by a mutilated demonic man. Waking up, she soon sees that she's bleeding. Freddy, Gary and Jane become aware of this impending danger and together with Tommy and Leslie they try to attract the attention of a helicopter that's been sent out to find Jerry. Unsuccessful at doing so, the Lady in Black kills Freddy using a voodoo doll to cause his veins to burst open. Jay's day breaks and the group decide to just make a run for it, with Jane leading Tommy outside. Leslie and Gary, however, investigate the attic room where they saw the mysterious lady. And upon leaving the room, it appears that Jane has already become possessed by her and looks exactly like the witch from the opening. Leslie and Gary flee the hotel only for them to realise they've left Tommy behind. Gary is killed when trying to retrieve him, and Leslie is soon cornered by Jane. She's about to kill Tommy when he switches his toy on, which has his voice recording on it, saying that he loves Jane. The sound breaks through her, and the witch loses her control, and she fatally dives out of the window to stop the witch from making her kill Tommy. In the end, Leslie and Tommy are rescued, but Leslie is soon horrified when the doctors tell her she's pregnant. I've been waiting for you. I chose you all carefully. Your weak swords are the source of my existence. And this body, the vessel that shall contain them and carry out my task. Come on, Jane. Let's get out of here. There are three doors to the dark side. Lust, avarice, and ire. Linda for the lust, and Rose for the greed, and ire of the persecuted witch. Add Jane's baby, and the one element that unites and completes the rest. The loss of purity. You It's locked. No. <laughs> Witchcraft, or more commonly known as witchery in the US was originally released as La Casa 4, right on the tails of Lenzi's Ghost House earlier the same year. Again, the film's plot has no real relation to Evil Dead, and no relation to the plot of Ghost House either. Instead, the film focuses on a group of strangers who are stranded on an island off the coast of Boston, uh, who encounter the wrath of an old witch inhabiting the body of an old German actress, who begins to off them by dragging them into other dimensions. Apart from the obvious theme of a haunted house, or in this case, hotel, witchcraft shares some other elements with its predecessor, namely the appearance of Robert Champagne as Freddy, and also a perfunctory shot of a Boston street that is directly lifted from the ending of Ghost House. While it appears to have nothing else in common plot-wise, the film clearly takes inspiration from other Italian classics instead, for a relatively unique blend of multiple images, even if they don't really fit necessarily together that well. 
One of the more striking images in the film is the witch's use of an ornate hairpin that reflects dazzling light, usually before she's casting a spell of some kind. This is most definitely a reference to Argento's classic Suspiria, in which there's a very psychedelic sequence where Susie is purposely dazed by the ballet school's cook. While it's not as effective as Argento's example, it's nonetheless interesting imagery. Also interesting is the main antagonist herself, who's an unnamed woman in black who is hinted to be the German actress that lived in the hotel many years ago. The characters mention this quite often, but it's never quite solidified. But it's hinted that it's the actress's body that's possessed by the witch of centuries past. While this also seems like a reference to Suspiria, which is primarily about a German ballet school inhabited by a coven of witches, the witch's method of using three doors that lead into hell to achieve some nebulous objective is very similar to the themes that are present in Lucio Fulci's unofficial Gates of Hell trilogy, namely The Beyond and uh, City of the Living Dead. In pretty much the same way, though, as Fulci's films, the concept of the three gates only really functions as a concept, because the mechanism is just not really uh, fully explained, even though the witch kind of discusses it with Leslie and Gary once she's possessed Jane. Despite it borrowing from a number of different source materials, it nonetheless manages to showcase some mean-spirited nastiness, such as Rose having her mouth sewn shut before being burned alive in a chimney, Leslie being horribly raped by Satan, at least according to the end credits, and Freddy's veins horribly throbbing before bursting open. The general odd tone due to the witchcraft theme and the frequent scenes of characters being dragged to another dimension of flames, dust and wire fences is genuinely mystifying and a lot more interesting than one could really hope for. The Exorcist, of course, is emulated as well with the presence of Linda Blair, and it's not really a surprise when she does, in fact, become possessed. At the end of it, however, most of the principal cast is dead, and the witch's plan remains unfulfilled and unknown to boot, with a bit of a throwaway ending that's so abrupt it kind of jolts you out of your uh, stupor. It's one of those films that does the job and remains a little memorable afterwards, but otherwise it doesn't really go as beyond what uh, Fulci's work would do. Obviously, with the presence of Linda Blair and David Hasselhoff, Witchcraft has a slightly higher calibre of cast than uh, Ghost House. Hasselhoff hadn't quite hit his uh, Baywatch years until about a year after this film, but he had already appeared in Luigi Cozzi's Star Crash, as well as the well-known Knight Rider series. Baywatch, of course, would cement him in people's memories forever, and he became a bit of a cult star, making guest appearances in stuff like Adam Sandler's Click, uh, the SpongeBob SquarePants movie, and uh, Piranha 3DD, or 3DD, however you want to pronounce it. Now, we also have Catherine Hickland, who played Linda. She'd already appeared in the Western-themed horror movie Ghost Town, and she'd go on to find most success in daytime TV, specifically a 14-year role on uh, American programme One Life to Live. There's also Annie Ross, who played the Moody Rose. She had a little bit part in uh, Superman 3, and she also had a recurring part in uh, Basket Case 2 and 3. Interestingly, she was also a singer who contributed to um, a few soundtracks. Uh, More recently, uh, 2015's Carol, starring Cate Blanchett. Uh, Also 1973's Wicker Man. And she even performed a song, a vocal song, um, from Nazi exploitation film Salon Kitty, which is one that we'll be covering later on in uh, in the series. 
The Lady in Black was played by veteran act, uh, veteran German actress Hildegard Neff, who had a prolific film career in her native Germany. And Leslie Cumming, who played her namesake Leslie, had only one other film credit to her name. Interestingly, the zombie film Killing Birds, which we're covering later. Now, director Fabrizio Laurenti did not have many films behind him, mostly consisting of TV films and documentaries, with the exception of, again, Troll 3. Now, the film had a minor release in the UK on VHS in 1989 under the title Ghost House 2, but the print was a BBFC cut version, removing about 21 seconds from Freddie's throat gushing and um, Leslie's rape to remove all instances of her nudity. Now, this version was the only one available until uh, a DVD release in 2001 in the UK, which restored all the blood flow from Freddie's death, but it introduced a slow-motion effect to the rape scene to remove any sight of Leslie's breasts. But the BBFC uh, statement on it actually says that they passed the film uncut, which means that the print that was submitted was already pre-edited by the distributor. An uncut version is available in the US, however, under the uh, witchery title. And that was Witchcraft and the end of the show for this week. But before we do any of the usual goodbyes, we actually have some feedback for the first time. If I receive any feedback, I'll always slot it in after the main features. And this week, we have some from the Duke of Dublon Tondras himself. It's Mr. Gore Blimey. Hi, this is Gore Blimey here. I just wanted to leave a bit of feedback to say how much I loved your first episode. And it's good to have another horror podcast from Wales. So what can I say to that except Croiso Irbi Podladiad? I hadn't seen Savage Water. I know, shocking. But Black Christmas is one of my favourites and it's a brilliant choice to kick off a new show. It's such an underrated horror movie, especially with those phone calls. They're so damn creepy. Plus, I do like Margot Kidder in this. And there's John Saxon and what's not to like. As for Massacre in Dinosaur Valley and Against Nature, I have to admit I've not seen either of them. But to be honest, films that align themselves with Cannibal Ferox and Cannibal Holocaust are probably going to be left well alone by me anyway. To be fair, I've heard these two aren't actually all that bad in that respect, but I'll let you do the watching and I'll look forward to hearing what you have to say. Like I said, a great first episode and I can't wait to hear more. It might be a nasty pasty, but it does have a meaty filling and it certainly isn't crusty. Cheers! Of course, Gore, nothing beats a pair of crusty bloomers and doughy buns when it comes to this bakery. The man has what I believe uh, Richie, what Richie and Eddie would call from bottom Dublon Tondra disease, but thank you very, very much for your feedback, Gore. And uh, don't worry about watching all the films. Only a true maniac like me would wade through all this cinematic excrement in search of all these thrills, and there's plenty of future material to enjoy. 
as ever, if any of you got any more feedback for our comments on these films, please do send them in uh, to nastypastypodcast uh, at gmail.com. We'll have a new episode out next Tuesday, as usual. And here are the films for next week. So, 1971's Let's Scare Jessica to Death and 1970's I Drink Your Blood. Now, I can understand the theme is not immediately obvious, but it's actually a proto-zombie theme. Not quite in the way that you're thinking, but in the interim between Romero's landmark Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead, a few films had elements of what would become the zombie film, which would then be popularised by Dawn and copied endlessly afterwards. So these two films I'm covering next, they use the subject matter in very different ways, but you can sort of see uh, the evolution of a zombie theme within them. But anyway, we'll find that out next week on Nasty Pasty. So take care, everybody, and thank you all for listening. Goodbye! (laughs)